Hi, everyone. I'm jumping back into your podcatchers this week with another quick little bonus episode. I'm really enjoying doing these little updates in between seasons. So today I'm talking to you about sleep. Are you one of the 70% of teachers who struggle with falling or staying asleep? If so, it's probably cold comfort to know that you're not alone. So a few nights ago, as I'm recording this, uh, Trudy from TeachersThriving.com and I spent a good 45 minutes discussing this very important but under-researched topic of teacher sleep in uh, the Teachers Thriving Lounge Facebook group. So that is something that I highly recommend you go and check out. Trudy's doing great work uh, and it's a wonderful supportive space uh, for educators to focus on their health and well-being, put themselves first as people and teachers second. And every Sunday evening, Trudy does a Facebook Live. And this week, I was lucky enough to be invited on to discuss this topic of teacher sleep and some strategies that you can use to help you get a good night's rest. So Trudy has a work-life balance quiz on her website, and I'll pop the link in the show notes for this episode in the description in your uh, podcaster app. And on that work-life balance quiz, sleep comes up as the number one issue for 72% of the teachers who take that quiz, take the teacher's driving work-life balance quiz. As Trudy says, sleep is the sleeper topic for educators. No one is really talking about it, but it is a really massive issue. And it's a big issue in the sense that 72% of the teaching population who've responded to this survey, that's a big deal. It was also something that came up in my survey the teacher health and wellbeing survey that I did last year, which you can hear more about in season four of the podcast. I think it was episode three. I did a review of that. Um, So we know that this is a big problem for educators, but I also need to preface this episode with saying that sleep is a massive issue anyway. It's a big issue in the general population, but it's also a really big topic. So obviously this is only one short little bonus podcast episode. I will do a more in-depth episode next year in in one of the new seasons coming out in 2020. But today, I want to give you some of those tips that I shared on the Facebook Live with Trudy the other night. And so the bad news is that there are no overnight solutions to this sleep problem. And I very much intend that pun, by the way. But the good news is that there is a lot that you can do to reclaim your sleep and take control of your rest. It's not an overnight solve, right? This will take time and effort and energy, but it's worth it. It is so worth it. Sleep is something that I have been researching and experimenting with for a really long time because it's something that I've actually struggled with on and off for many years. Back when I was at university and I had um, chronic fatigue syndrome before I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, I suffered from insomnia, which was obviously contributing to the fatigue, but also it was really impacting my mood a huge amount. And it was a big contributing factor to the other chronic health and immune system issues that I had going on at the time. And it becomes a bit of a, a vicious cycle where lack of sleep causes, you know, poor immunity and then you get sick and then you don't sleep well because you're not well and blah, blah, blah. So not much fun. But then since university, when I haven't thankfully had chronic fatigue syndrome since then, but over the course of the last 11 years, I have still been through times of sleep struggle, especially during times of high stress at school. Um, and then more recently last year, I went through a period again of acute insomnia after I was bitten by a dog and it just completely threw my nervous system for a loop. Obviously, it was a scary thing to happen and it triggered a real emergency fight or flight response in my system, which I really couldn't switch off for a while and it was tough. So 
So I get it. I know how absolutely painful and miserable it is to be struggling to fall asleep and or to be waking up at 3 a.m. in a cold sweat um, and unable to fall back asleep, unable to turn your brain off, unable to almost think clearly because in the middle of the night, things just look different than they do in the light of day. And it can be really miserable and painful. So there's a lot of strategies that I have learned over the years that I use in my life and that I share with my clients. And I shared some of them on this live stream with um, Trudy on the Teachers Thriving Lounge Facebook group. And Trudy had three of her own as well. So I recommend you go and um, watch that video. But I want to share today before we even get to the tips, if you are having ongoing sleep issues as an educator, please, please go and get a checkup with your GP. Sleep issues could be being caused by an underlying health problem or perhaps a side effect of medication that you're on. Um, And if it's really severe and really impacting other parts of your life, so if you're finding that your lack of sleep is really impacting on your mood, you know, on your levels of anxiety, then please go and speak to your doctor. Just you want to make sure that you don't have something else going on, something much more serious like, you know, sleep apnea or something else. You really want to make sure you're covering those medical bases But it's also a good idea to talk to your doctor about pharmaceutical sleep aids. And I'm generally a fan of self-care over, you know, medication and surgery and, you know, the more high intervention end of the the health scale. Obviously, self-care is my business. I'm pro that. But there are times when some pharmaceutical sleep aids are actually warranted. And it doesn't necessarily mean sleeping tablets, by the way. There are other options, melatonin supplements, for example, even some antidepressants can help with sleep too. And I think it's it would be remiss of me not to say that you should discuss these with your doctor to find out if they're right for you because sleep is such an important factor in not only a healthy life, but in just functioning, a base level of functioning and a base level of feeling okay mood-wise day-to-day. So it's important to look into these in conjunction with other self-care tips. Now, particularly things like sleeping tablets can become less effective over time. They're treating a symptom, not a cause. So you do need to start looking more at the root causes. But if you are so exhausted from you know, insomnia, if you have such high anxiety, such depression from your sleep issues that have been building and not getting better over time, then sometimes what you need is just a little bit of a leg up in the form of maybe some medication that your doctor can prescribe you that can then help you look after yourself, right? So I do recommend going and speaking to your doctor if this is something that's really an ongoing issue for you, as it is for a lot of educators. And we need to take it seriously. We need to stop brushing it off and, and you know, almost competing with each other for who's the most exhausted because who who can survive on the least amount of sleep. Let's cut that out, right? That is not healthy. That is not a good culture. And if you are surrounded by that culture, let me please give you permission to ignore that and go and look after yourself, starting with a doctor's appointment. So without further ado, let's talk about my three points or three tips and tricks to get more sleep or to at least support your system to get more sleep. So number one is to get morning sunlight. This is so often neglected in, you know, when I see like top 10 tips to getting more sleep, blog posts and stuff, this is the one that they always forget. And this is the one that I think is the easiest to implement and also incredibly powerful. So we normally think about sleep as, you know, a nighttime activity. And so when we think about doing something to support our sleep, we're thinking about what we're doing at nighttime or before bed. 
But actually what you do first thing in the morning matters as well. And getting natural light into your retinas, into your eyes by going outside or sitting near a window, getting some sunshine, that actually helps trigger the hormones in the body that control the circadian rhythm. So melatonin is the sleepy hormone, right? And if you are having sleep issues, it's very possible that your melatonin uh, cycle is going to be out of whack, which means that you don't feel sleepy when you are trying to go to bed at nighttime, but maybe you do feel incredibly sleepy and incredibly groggy in the morning. And what morning sunshine does, natural light first thing in the morning, what that does is it helps turn the melatonin hormone off. It helps signal to the brain, it's daytime now, it's time to be awake. We don't need sleepy hormones, which then because it's turning the awake hormones on first thing in the morning, then the brain knows that, you know, 12, 14 hours later is nighttime, time for sleepy hormones to be switched on. So this is a really powerful and also really simple step. And it's something that is completely free. And if you do feel extremely groggy in the morning, you don't really need to do very much to implement this. You just need to get out of bed and get near a window. Or you can do like I do, which is in times when I really am experiencing sleep struggles ongoing and it's such a battle to get out of bed and I feel so groggy in the morning. What I do is I drag myself out of bed, usually put on my Ugg boots and just go and stand in the backyard like a zombie for like 15 to 20 minutes. And I, you know, I'm still half asleep, right? So sometimes my eyes are even closed and I just turn my face towards the rising sun, like some kind of strange human sunflower and just stand there and let the light seep into my brain. <laughs> and now we know that daylight's really good for our mood anyway. That's why in cultures where, that's why in countries in the world where they have, you know, like 24 hours of darkness during winter and they don't have a lot of daylight, seasonal affective disorder is a problem because daylight is good for our brains in so many ways. But if you are struggling with sleep, this is the most simple, I think, the most simple strategy that you can implement. And you can do it when you're absolutely exhausted because you don't really have to do anything other than just get your body into a position where natural light can reach your eyes in the morning. It, of course, is not a quick fix, right? It won't solve your circadian rhythm issues overnight. But if you do it consistently for a good couple of weeks, you'll start to notice a difference. So that's number one, get some morning sunlight. Number two is to watch what you're putting in your body during the day. So caffeine is the obvious one. I think we're all aware that if we drink a cup of coffee after dinner, it's likely to disrupt our sleep. But of course, the kicker is that when we're really exhausted and we feel that we have to function, we can get into a cycle with caffeine where we rely on caffeine to wake us up in the morning and to keep us going throughout the day and not just caffeine, but sugar as well. And then at night, we're kind of wired because we've had so much caffeine during the day. So we want something else to calm us down and make us feel relaxed and drowsy, ready for bed. And the one that a lot of teachers turn to is alcohol because it works, right? Cups of coffee all day and then have a couple of glasses of wine with dinner and actually it will work. It will relax you and make you feel you know, more drowsy, more able to switch off the brain and sort of go to sleep. The problem is that alcohol and caffeine and other drugs can and do impact sleep throughout the night. So yes, alcohol might help you feel drowsy, feel more relaxed, be able to fall asleep, but it's quite likely to disrupt your sleep throughout the night. So if you are struggling with 
those early morning, you know, 2, 3 a.m. wake-ups where you just can't fall back asleep. I hate to be a wowser, but it is something that you need to look at because it's very possible that what's helping you relax to be ready to fall asleep at bedtime is actually not helping you stay asleep throughout the night. And of course, if you need a glass of wine to be able to wind down and go to sleep at night every night, that's something you probably also want to chat to your doctor about because we want things like caffeine and alcohol to be things that we are in control, right? They don't run us. It's not the tail wagging the dog here. We want to be able to use them when we want to, maybe to relax on the weekend, but we don't want it to become a habit that actually starts controlling us. So that is something that you need to look at and something to be aware of. But also even certain foods, if you're sensitive to them, can actually impact your sleep throughout the night. For example, for me, I I know that really spicy food is going to disrupt my sleep. And if you have other dietary requirements or food sensitivities, that might be something to start paying attention to whether or not it impacts your sleep throughout the night. And it doesn't mean you have to give up these foods and drinks altogether, right? But it might mean that you need a curfew for them. Maybe you don't have any caffeine after midday. And that might mean that the first couple of days are really, really tough. That three o'clock slump might be really painful. So you're probably going to need to plan for that. If this is a habit that you're in, you probably are going to need to go, right? That week, I'm going to need to have some alternative plans for the three o'clock. And if you're really exhausted, and I know it's not always an option for people, but have a nap, you know, school's finished, go and curl up under your desk in the classroom and have a 10 minute power nap. Try that as a strategy instead of your, your cup of coffee. Because what happens when we're relying on these various stimulants and relaxants is that they are covering up an underlying problem. You're reaching for the caffeine to keep you awake because obviously there's an issue with the amount of sleep that you're getting. Now, again, you want to be checking this stuff with your doctor just to make sure there's nothing else going on. But at the base of it, it can even be something that you use if you're just observing how much caffeine you're consuming or how often you reach for the alcohol to wind down at night. That can actually be something that you start to pay attention to as a symptom or a signal that you're needing to pay a bit more attention to those other areas of life, the stress management, the the sleep strategies. So I don't want to take away your teddy bear here, but I do think it's important that we acknowledge that caffeine, alcohol, and other drugs really can and do impact sleep. And if you're serious about getting more sleep, you need to have a look at what you're putting into your body during the day and maybe have a curfew or maybe only do that on the weekends find a system that works for you that's not going to make it harder for you to sleep in the long run. So that's tip number two, watch what you're putting in your body during the day. And tip number three is the hardest of all, actually, and the most long-term strategy of all, but it's also the one that treats the cause, not just a symptom. And this is to train your mind and body to elicit the relaxation response. So the relaxation response, also known as rest and digest state, is the opposite of the stress response, which I'm sure you would have heard called the fight, flight, or freeze state. So it's something that our bodies do naturally, the stress response and the relaxation response. It's part of our autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. It's something our bodies do naturally. The fight or flight response, the stress response, is something that's elicited automatically and by real and also perceived threats. So yes, when I was bitten by that dog last year, That was a very real 
safety survival threat to me. It was pretty scary. It sent my body into absolute emergency response mode, stress mode, fight or flight. And the after effects of that, because it was a real emergency situation, my nervous system went a bit haywire for a couple of months there, right? So not that I was necessarily at that super high stressed state that I was in the moment that it happened, but there was an underlying chronic level and, you know, flashbacks and things like that that were waking me up in the night and nightmares and things that over time started to mean that I was more often in that stress response, that fight or flight state because of the memories of it. So this is the thing. Our bodies don't actually know the difference between a real event happening right now and a memory and or a a perceived emergency, like, for example, an email from a parent that we check at 7.30 p.m. at night that super stresses us out because it signals to us that, oh, my goodness, there's this, you know, hostile situation that I'm going to have to deal with. This parent is maybe being oppositional, if not abusive. And that can really send us into fight or flight mode, even though we might be sitting at home on the couch looking at our phone. We're actually safe in the moment, right? In the here and now, our bodies are safe. We are not in physical danger. And of course, if you are, if you're actually receiving threats, then you should, of course, contact the police. But it can also be that just the looming deadline of report cards can actually send our body into that fight or flight mode. And then When we are working really hard all day, every day in that kind of deadline-driven mode, then we stay in that stressed state, even at a much lower level than, for example, the, the moment when I got bitten by the dog, but that much lower chronic level of stress, and we never end up switching back into the rest and digest state. So the rest and digest state is also something that in an ideal world, we can actually automatically move our bodies into when there's no stress real or perceived in our systems, in our minds, in our environment. But unlike the stress response, which is only an automatic response, the relaxation response is a skill that we can train. And we do need to train it in this modern world full of fight or flight triggers. It's not a quick fix. It's a long-term skill building habit. So just like learning to play the guitar, The first 10 times you do it, you're going to suck, right? It's going to be really hard. Probably the first more than 10 times, but it's a skill building habit that we can practice and get better at over time. And we can train our minds and our bodies to elicit the response more quickly and more easily. And there's a lot of things that you can do to help you switch into this state. So the one that I'm sure you've all heard about is meditation and mindfulness. Now, they're not quite the same thing. Meditation is a little bit more formalized, um, but there's a lot of different options for it. And mindfulness is a type of meditation. Mindfulness is the basically the state of being in present non-judgmental awareness and observation of the moment that you're in. Both of those, and there's lots of apps that can help you with this, are very powerful to help you move into that relaxation response. But there's some other things that you can do that are even in some ways easier, especially late at night when you're very, very tired. So Number one is to slow and deepen your breathing and in particular, make your exhale longer than your inhale. So slow your out breath to be longer than your in breath. So you can count in for three and count out for five, for example. And what that does is that immediately triggers or immediately signals to the body that if we're breathing out deeply and slowly, we must be safe. So therefore, we can move into this rest and digest state. You can also create rituals around bedtime to help train your body 
to slow down and switch off. Things like having a warm bath, doing some sleep affirmations, doing some worry time journaling where you write out all the things that you're worried about and you have a little ritual with yourself where when you close that book, you say to yourself, those things will wait for me until the morning. I can stop thinking about them now because, you know, brain, you don't need to remind me of those things every five minutes tonight because I've written them down. I won't forget them and I'm closing the book on that. I'll open it again tomorrow. You can also do things like just having a particular routine in terms of brushing your teeth and getting into your pajamas and maybe dimming the lights in the house while you tidy the kitchen and that sort of thing. Just a particular ritual that helps you switch off. And of course, reading for pleasure, doing things that you enjoy, but particularly away from screens um, is very important. And I haven't gone into screens here. Trudy covers it quite in depth in the Facebook Live that we did in the Facebook group, but Screens is definitely one you want to get away from late at night. So reading a paper book is super important. And the other thing you can do is to really consciously slow down your thoughts because that, again, similar to slowing down your breathing, feels a bit silly to do it. But when you have racing thoughts, you can deliberately slow down the thoughts in your mind. And again, what that does is it signals to the brain, we are safe. We don't have to be on right now we can calm and switch off and go to sleep. Like I said, sleep is a very, very big topic and there are a lot of variables involved in why you might be struggling with it. However, there are also a lot of simple things that you can do to support your system to get more shut-eye and I really do encourage you to try some of these at home. Manage your expectations so that you're not hoping for an overnight change But do persist with these because it really makes a difference and your sleep is so fundamental to your well-being, it's not even funny. So I'm curious, have you ever experienced sleep issues as a teacher? I would love to hear and perhaps you can leave me a voicemail when you tell me. So all you need is your phone or your computer and you can leave me a voicemail for the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. You can ask me a question, make a comment about any past episodes about this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also suggest a topic for a future episode. However, what I'd really, really love is for you to answer the question that I'm about to share with you because I'd like to collate your answers for a special project that I'm working on for season six of the podcast. So in three minutes or less, that's because that's the length of time that the voicemail app on the website works. So you've got three minutes to tell me when you think back on your first year of teaching, what did you learn about staying healthy and cultivating well-being as a person and as a teacher? Or to put it another way, what advice would you give your first year teacher self about staying healthy and cultivating well-being as a teacher? So. What I would like to hear from you, I just want to be clear, I don't want to hear about your learnings about curriculum or classroom management or things like that from your first year as a teacher. This, of course, is a podcast about people first and teachers second, about teacher well-being, not about curriculum and all the other things that happen in the classroom. So I do want you to just focus on what you learned about health and well-being as a person first and a teacher second in those first couple of years of teaching, because I'm sure that there are things that you, um, lessons that you learned and ways that you do things now because of what you learned back then. And I also want to be clear, I'm not asking for your advice for today's first year teachers because they are on their own journeys and I think they get enough advice already. But 
my reason for asking you is twofold. One, we can all learn by reflecting on our own journey and by really digging deep into and reflecting on what did we learn. It's, it's a great reflective practice to be in. We know that about our professional practice. It applies in personal practice too. But number two is we also learn by listening to each other's stories because that's what I try and do here on the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is share stories that can inspire you but also can give you permission to try something that you may not have thought of or that you might not have felt like was an option. And when you hear another teacher say they've tried it and it worked for them, it can really help motivate you to give it a go for yourself. Of course, not everything is going to work for everybody. Not everyone is the same. That's why we differentiate. But hearing a variety of stories is really powerful. We can learn from each other. So um, you don't need fancy tech to leave me this voicemail. Uh, You can record straight into the inbuilt microphone in your phone or computer. Or you can use an external mic, but really the headset that comes with your mobile phone, usually a little pair of white headphones with a little mic on them, that is the best option probably. And you just have to make sure that you're in a quiet room. That's actually more important than the equipment that you use is being in a quiet space where you won't be interrupted. So yeah, I would love for you to answer this question to help me with this super special season six project that I'm working on. So thinking back on your first year of teaching, what did you learn about staying healthy and cultivating well-being as a person and as a teacher? Or if we put it another way, what advice would you give yourself as your first year teacher self about staying healthy and cultivating well-being as a person and as a teacher? Really want to hear from you. And the way you can leave me this voicemail is at www selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash voicemail. Super easy to remember, www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash voicemail. I would love to hear from you. And I hope this bonus episode with some sleep tips is really useful for you. Try them at home. And remember, if you feel like this is an ongoing issue, please go and chat to your doctor about it. Make sure you're covering your bases, checking there's nothing else going on and really looking after yourself from that medical perspective, and then action as many of those self-care tips as you can. All right, as always, remember you are a person first and a teacher second, and you are so worthy of your own care. See you later.